0: audio podcast network hey kelly family you know what i was doing the other day what i was perusing through a history book and i noticed something really weird what's that well there was all the stuff about all the cool things that men did but there was little to nothing about women that's sad i know it's super sad you know what i wish what that there was a podcast about women's history and the women from history that you probably haven't heard of. That would be amazing. Oh, my God. That would be so amazing. It would. Well, I have good news for you. What's that? That's exactly what we're doing right now. We are that podcast. We are that podcast. We are the change we wish to see. Yay. (laughs) We are the women in the mirror. (laughs) Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Whining About Herstory, the women's history podcast where two longtime besties talk about women from history you probably haven't heard of while drinking a ton of wine. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And Kelly. Kelly, thank you so much for like sticking with me that through that cute. intro. I, like that. I, I had the idea. I'm like, this is the dumbest, cheesiest thing ever. And I am 100% doing it. Yeah, Kelly, it. and without telling Kelly why I, I was like, Kelly, will you participate in my intro? And she's like, yeah. I'm like, I'll, I'll make it really easy. Just I'm gonna ask you some questions and you just need to answer. And <laughs> you were right there with right? me. Ugh oh, I love it. All righty. Well, first, let's talk about the wine we're drinking today. That We're pairing with our badass ladies. So uh, this is another bottle from my uh, Wine Angels box. Is this your first one or is this your second one now? This is my second box. This is from my second box. Yeah, I'm a repeat customer. And I I really like it because basically I I signed up. I got my first box free and it was just kind of like a bunch of their... um,
1: Like best sellers?
0: Yeah, yeah. It was just like a variety box. And I basically, like, pay $40 a month. And all that money goes into my account. So whenever the hell I feel like it, I can just go and buy a bunch of wine that I basically already paid for. So this box was a ton of fun because I'm just picking everything. I'm like, I still have money to spend because it takes a while to drink 12 bottles of wine, you guys. For few months. It kind of reminds me of, uh, do you know those, uh, they were like Christmas saving accounts or gift saving accounts. Basically, banks had this thing where at the beginning, of the year you open up this account you put so much money in it every month and it's for your holiday presents at the end of the year so it's basically you've been saving for your presents, and it's kind of like that except i get to dip into it way more frequently and i get to enjoy my purchase while i'm saving up for the next one yeah that's pretty nice so this is uh a pinot grigio from clerksburg california it's karen birmingham and uh, actually, this may have been from the first box. It may have been, because I'm like, I don't think I bought Pinot Grigio. Whatever. It's from, it's from one of the. It's from a box. It's from a box that was full of wine, and I didn't ask questions. So this is 2009 Pinot Grigio. And the back says, all great wines begin in the vineyard. Thank you angels. See, I'm an angel because I'm buying wine from them. So that's like a bonus because now I will ascend into heaven during the rapture. Yeah. And I'll oh, be just a col- I'll be a collection of eyes, no feet and wings. Is that what biblical angels are? Like they're super crazy looking. I mean, they're not little people with wings. <laughs> sometimes I was to
1: say it depends cuz like in some paintings, like biblical paintings, yeah, they're like cherubs. Yeah. But yeah, a lot of times they didn't have feet. But I, think, I don't know if it's like their gowns were too long that they just didn't see their feet, or if they just didn't have. feet. You no, know,
0: I think when they descri- I think that's what people did to illustrate the cr- like angels. Like, okay, everyone's just going to know this is a person with wings. But like in the Bible, angels are like fucking crazy. Anyway, I'm one of those now. With your support, I am able to work with. The Lang Twins family, innovative fifth generation growers, to make this wine just for you. Just for me, Kelly. Your Pinot Grigio is growing along the delta where the cooling waters and maritime breezes create an ideal microclimate for growing grapes. Mm -hmm. That, That makes me want to move into a house on the shore and make it all beach themed. Starfish and shells right, and netting, every, everything everywhere. is
1: like everywhere. It's like the white wainscoting with like yes. the sea color and then some tans oh, to mix it all in. Like that
0: really light blue that you yeah. always see. I'm just gonna get a giant lobster mounted over my bed. And I'm gonna tell everyone, Yeah, I killed that fucker. I wrestled it in the ocean. Don't you see how beachy my house is? You believe me, <laughs> right? It's a true story. Uh, crisp refreshing delightful enjoy this gem from clarksburg so yeah that is the wine again women don't drink while pregnant
1: (laughs) it's the biggest longest comma pause ever
0: i it just it and it's oh they always drop it down to the second line they say women shouldn't drink wine comma drop down to the next line while pregnant or like they put in parentheses or it's like there's a little asterisk in that at the very bottom while pregnant, pregnant. While pregnant. Wine, wine doesn't more want to even. be drank by women apparently alright what are we cheersing to I don't know what are we cheersing to um let's cheers to your nephew There you go Yeah,
1: it's he's his turning one today.
0: yeah happy and, on the day we're recording
1: little nephew <laughs> is this
0: for you buddy only 20 more years <laughs> and then you can drink, too. Yep, we're counting them down, bud. This is very refreshing. They said crisp and refreshing, and I'm like, yeah, it's. it doesn't it's have a crisp. bite or acidity mm-hmm. to it or anything. It it's wouldn't... very smooth. It's, it's very
1: smooth, but there isn't, like, there's no, like, standout
0: flavors. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I mean... Like it's just very...
0: Pinot Grigio it's, is not usually my Pinot favorite Grigio. anyway. but like they, It's a white wine. I can definitely see this, though, in my blue and white horizontal striped shirt with my white khakis sitting in my Adirondack chair on the back patio of my house on the coast watching the sunset over the ocean. Drinking this wine. Drinking yeah. this wine. Like, I, I am there. I've got little earrings that are like...
1: Sailboats. Um
0: No. The steering wheel. What's that thing called? It's not the steering wheel. Nope.
1: I know what you're talking about, Oh, my God.
0: I'm basically imagining myself as Linda from Bob's Burgers when she thinks that they're going to go sailing. And Uh, she's got those giant earrings that are I'm totally
1: imagining you as Helena Bonham Carter from uh, Sweeney
0: Todd. Ah! Oh, my God. How's that sound? It's it's literally called a ship's wheel or a boat's wheel. Okay. Ship's wheel. Maybe I'm just- Wheel is the word that's escaping Down Unless you were thinking of, like, sea. the rudder, which is
1: the thing in the water that is controlled by the...
0: We will be so happy Yeah, and so, at least by the sea. That's what I was thinking Drinking um, wine, getting sloppy. <laughs> because you said the
1: striped shirt. Yeah. That's, what, that's what made me think of it.
0: No, no, no. If you live by the sea, everyone is obligated to have a blue and white horizontal striped yeah. something. Dress, shirt, sweater, something. Uh, all right. Well, uh... I do have a say their name. Bring them on out. But... Should we do it in the middle
1: because it pertains to your story? It
0: pertains to my story. So in an uncharacteristic twist, because we're full of surprises, I'm going to save it for my segment because you, my dear friend, are going first today. But you are definitely going to want to stick around for my say their name because this is a fan favorite person. Oh, I'm, and Kelly doesn't even know. I've got I some, know. I have props that I'm going to whip out when my story comes. Wow. It's going to be amazing. So stick around or just skip Kelly's story I and pro- go straight I to probably mine probably if you can't like wait. the
1: house down had I gotten props.
0: <laughs> oh, maybe no. not. No,
1: maybe not. Okay. So I'm covering Mabel Stark. Oh, of the, uh, of the, the of the Winterfell Stur- Starks? No. <laughs> yeah, <right>? no. <laughs> of the Tony Starks? <laughs> kind of somewhere in between. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> Due to like, where she ends up in life, her story got embellished both by her and by other people. You'll see why. Supposedly, she was born Mary Haney in either 1888 or 1889. Okay. I mean, one-year discrepancy is absolutely nothing. Right. No. <laughs> We've had like 15 years, and we're just like, somewhere in there she was born. They were e-
0: either 16 when this happened or 65. Right.
1: <laughs> um, so she's born. they do know she was born in Tennessee or supposedly, because she liked to go around telling people she was Canadian, but they're pretty sure that the, she was born in Tennessee.
0: I have done that when I've been overseas. Exactly. <laughs> her family would
1: relocate to Princeton, Kentucky when she was young. That's where her, her mother's family was from, so they moved near to her. Um, she was one of seven children. Her parents were farmers, and they died within two years of each other, so that oh. by, the, by the time she was 17 her and her siblings were orphans.
0: Oh no!
1: Yeah, this is um, a bummer. During the time they, she actually took her stepfather to court because she didn't want to go live with him.
0: But she was seventeen. Oh, I'm sorry. I did. I miss the part where you say the mom divorced the dad. Nope, but she did. Oh, okay. I didn't, so I so now that. so her biological parents are they're both, both dead. dead. Yep. The stepfather's hanging around, but he sucks.
1: He sucks. Okay, and, cool. And she didn't want to live with him, so she left. And her six siblings did stay with him. So like it was kind of a weird estrangement, and you'll you won't hear of them again in the story. So.
0: Her head headcanon, they're all doing fine. Yep. They all did fine. And they then they died because fine, this was were, forever ago. Yes. Yeah. Smile um, on their face mid-coitus. So after
1: that, she spent a short period of time living with her aunt, Kate Pettipool, which is a great last name. Oh, my
0: God. That is going to be my new fake bar
1: name, Alice Pettypool. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> um, She then traveled to... Louisville and became a nurse at St. Mary's Hospital. That's a little contested because some people that have done like research including one of her like great great nieces like say that there wasn't a nursing school in Louisville at that time so they're not sure where she would have gotten her training but I'm also like maybe they just hired her without training or maybe she was more of like an orderly than a nurse. I was
0: gonna say it wasn't that hard to be a nurse back then you know like, like nowadays, right. it's all like they track you. Oh, yeah. You have to renew your, uh, your certificate year. constantly. Well, depends on which certificate you're talking about, but yes. But you're, you're licensed to be a nurse or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, there's multiple levels of school you go through. I mean, Jane Toppin became a goddamn nurse. It could not have been that hard. Right. <laughs> Being a nurse is very hard and incredible, but like the the standards were different back then. Right. So she was a
1: nurse for around two-ish years-ish, and then she left Louisville, and her history kind of just goes dark. Like, no one's really sure where she went. A lot of her friends later said that she worked of a, as a quote-unquote dancer. I was just... I was immediately
0: imagining um, she's a madam literally a sex worker.
1: Some of the terms was a hoochie coochie dancer, and I was like, oh, that is... A hoochie
0: coochie dancer?
1: Yeah, that's what it was called. I oh assume my it's God. like a stripper.
0: Yeah. She's an ex. What we would probably um. call So that's call why I said quote-unquote
1: dancer. dancer. But no one's actually really... Sure, because like I said, she she tended to enrich the truth to try and make her background sound more interesting. Like I said, she would she would like to she liked to tell people that she was born a wealthy Canadian.
0: You know what? Which isn't true. Mission accomplished because hoochie coochie dancer has me hooked. I must know more.
1: So that was all going on. And then by 1911, she ended up with the Algie Barnes Circus in Culver City, California. So that's kind of where her records pick up after she left Louisville. Um, so she met Al Sands, who was the animal trainer at this circus. She got a job. She started working there with them as a horse rider. So like, when, you know, oh, like
0: the, one the, of the people that would ride, you know, in the, the, the women the, who are in the cute outfits yeah, and then they, they ride, they ride the, horses, the horses. They stand on top of the horses while the horse is right. in a circle and their hands are just like, yeah, exactly. Woo. Oh, my God. Um, that's horrifying.
1: So she was doing that, but she really, really wanted to work with big cats. <gasps> Ooh. she began to work with Louis Roth, who was a famous cat man who she would marry later, although she would also go on to be married four or five times total. So not that big of a deal. Cool. Um, Roth, however, would have preferred for Mabel to work with lions instead of tigers, but she very much insisted on working with tigers like that was her passion. She liked
0: the stripes. She's a stripes
1: queen. <laughs> Her husband advocated training of big cats by rewarding them with meat as opposed to just beating them into submission, as a lot of trainers did. Uh. So, you know, he, he used both the carrot and the stick. I stole that from one of my sources, I'll be oh, honest. I like but that. But I like that. And so that's how she learned as well as, you know, and that is actually like a psychological thing that positive reinforcement works best in big ba- basically all situations
0: i was gonna say even with children there was this idea for a very long time that if a child does something bad you smack them around and then they're like well i don't want to get smacked so i won't do the bad thing anymore that's
1: called positive punishment because you're adding
0: something but you're punishing them oh i see so it's not like positive as in the yay sense it's positive as in the there is an addition
1: (laughs) yeah when you're talking rewards in psych- psychology. But, yeah, it's more addition.
0: than OK, because then because now it's kind of like if a child does something good, we praise them mm-hmm. or like, oh, that was a really good choice you made. You know, awesome. Good yep. for you. We don't have to like Snack. get down and kiss their feet, you no. know, but just letting them know that was good. Exactly. And then when they do something bad instead of smacking them, you explain, well, how do you think that made your friend feel right. when you pushed them down? Would you like it if someone did that to you? Because then they're not just. Uh, not doing something bad because they don't want to get hit they're not doing something bad because they understand the consequences of hurting other people exactly which is way better and that's how we have empathetic people and tigers and tigers back
1: (laughs) to the tigers um so after working with roth she did soon become a tiger trainer in the ring of the circuses at first they had her working what they called a balloon act which i didn't actually look up what that meant but i assume like something that was fake it like appeared to be what it wasn't
0: right because
1: it had her quote unquote riding a lion which I'm guessing she wasn't
0: I her three Um, can she was
1: (laughs) riding a lion on a platform and then at some point pressing a pedal to release fireworks at some point during her act so I'm guessing she was probably standing on a platform like behind the lion, but it made it look like she was probably standing on its back I don't know that almost assumption. sounds
0: harder than riding the right? actual lion, like like someone has to be pulling the cart while ducking behind the lion and you have to make sure it's in right. rhythm with the lion and yeah, you have to I balance have no on the cart <laughs> while making it look like you're maybe wobbling on the lion. Right. I don't know.
1: So that's what she did for a little while, but by 1916, she was presenting her own tiger act. However, during one of her shows in early February of 1916, she was severely mauled by a mm. lion named Louis while rehearsing for the Pacific Electric exhibit for a show in San Bernardino, California. Oh, Mabel. Her husband, who was still wroth at this point, fired blank ca- cartridges from a revolver into Louis the lion's face. Oh. Amid the screams of his wife and spectators who had gathered to watch the rehearsal. The lion seized Mabel's left arm into its mouth and rolled over a number of times. Just as a, a side note, her husband had actually been mauled earlier that day by a different lion named Jeff. Well, these things come in threes, so who's next? <laughs> right. And the lion that, he, or the tiger that he was rescuing his wife from also swiped at him, um, leaving deep injuries in his arm before he was able to fire at it. Oh, it was a tiger. Did I say lion? I, I thought you said lion. No, it was a lion. OK. Oh, OK. She was working with lions. OK. In this case, apparently. Um, um, Mabel was dragged unconscious from the cage and rushed to the hospital where she was treated for a mangled and broken arm, obviously. Yeah. Uh this actually super didn't phase her. This was actually her third mauling in uh, three years. So she just kind of kept right on rolling. She's
0: averaging a mauling a year. Yeah, basically. Um, cause, She's like, I got it over with for the year. The rest of the year is going to be great. I right. got my mauling out of the way. I'm. It feels so good to get that over with. <laughs> yep,
1: because in 1914, she was attacked by leopards during a parade. And in 1915, she was mangled while in... California. It doesn't say by what, but it would either be a lion,
0: tiger, or leopard. Some kind of Some large kind cat. Some kind of large cat. Yeah, Th- exactly. There was an alley cat that bit her, and she's <laughs> like, count it. This is my mauling for the year. Yeah, right. We're good. We're Universe,
1: leave me alone. Right. Uh, during her recovery, she went on to a, d- or slightly after. They didn't really give a timeline. A lot of her stuff is just kind of like this happened. Yeah. Um, But at some point, she adopted a sick tiger cub that she named Raja and (gasps) raised him herself.
0: She's Jasmine.
1: Right. (laughs) She raised him to perform what they would become famous for, which was a wrestling act where they would wrestle together. Um, She accomplished this by romping and playing with him as a cub um, and keeping her her in her apartment as a pet. According to Mabel's autobiography, quote, Raja would run straight toward me, up he went on his hind legs, his four feet around my neck. We turned once or twice. I threw him on the ground and we rolled three or four times. I opened his mouth and put my face inside, then jumped up to my feet. End quote. This is stressing me out.
0: Like 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 this is incredible. And like to see this would have oh, been amazing. It gets weird. But I'm like, I The next the next
1: paragraph is weird.
0: I'm just personally not into like the live cat circus entertainment. A lot of people now are realizing that's not appropriate anymore. So I'm I'm definitely just viewing the story through the right. lens of the time and trying not to be super yeah. judgy, but I'm getting like I don't know, like, afterburn stress. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry, guys. I'm like, she's going to get your head bit off or I'm going to feel bad for the animals. Right.
1: <laughs> um, so she actually went on to admit years later that Raja was actually relieving himself sexually during this act, which looks very much like a vicious attack to anyone not familiar with tiger behavior. Mabel actually had to start wearing a white uniform so that the audience wouldn't see the tiger semen, and the white costume became her signature for the rest of her career. Like, she wasn't, like, doing it intentionally, but it was just kind of what it was. Yeah. I told you it got weird.
0: (laughs) My face. Face right now. Yeah, Emily is just, just like froze shocked. into a look like I didn't know whether a laugh or be horrified or just disg- I know. What the fuck? I told you, I
1: need we needed something lighter this week. Oh and my this is apparently God. what I went so with. So she
0: is basically having like the she's, tiger she's thinks ass- they're having she's foreplay, ass- she's
1: assisting the tiger and masturbating is the way I'm looking at it.
0: But for the audience, it looks like, oh she's man, that's mauled. a that's a yeah. tough tiger. And, uh, and she's just like, this tiger is horny as hell right now. right exactly oh my god what the fuck yeah i
1: know i wonder if it like because obviously she was training him since he was a cub so like i wonder if it like started out normal and then he, he hit puberty kind... and exactly was like... and she was just
0: like all right we're just gonna go with this is she like a tiger dominatrix apparently because she wins the wrestling matches doesn't she so yeah. she's like fake wrestling and the tiger's like let well, i mean yes Mad- it's, just, it's just
1: he finishes and then it's done Oh, my God. So I don't really know who wins in that situation. I mean, the tiger, (laughs) obviously. Um, So during this, Mabel would become well-known enough that in the 1920s, she actually became part of the Ringling Brothers Circus. Oh, shit. um, Which was, during the time, the best known circus in, you know, so that's pretty huge. During this time, she would marry again to the Ringling Circus accounting, Albert Ewing. However, her new husband turned out to be an embezzler, so they divorced don't you hate that when your new husband turns out to be right. a embezzler? Worst. I mean, luckily, she'd been with Ringling a while at this time, but they're not sure if whether it was because of what he did or what that um, during this time after they got divorced, Ringling decided to cut Big Cat Axe from their traveling circus. What they told her was cost and the time of erecting and dismantling the the arena cage that was needed she, so she was demoted back to horseback riding despite like her, you know, big name success. No more Tiger Dom scenes. Nope. She decided to stay with the circus, though, probably to care for her tigers because she did like she was very like I, I know they say a lot of times those people don't take care of their animals, but she was very much like she cared more about animals than she did about people.
0: Yeah, yeah, she, she, like connected those were her babies. Deeply. She took exactly. care of them. So okay. she
1: stayed on to work not only as a horseback rider, but take care of them in the circus menagerie because they kept the tigers, obviously, just to like, be like look, like we have zoo? tigers. Exactly. Yeah, like a traveling zoo. Um, during this time, she met and fell in love with Art Rooney and made her him another one of her husbands.
0: Woohoo. All right. He had, his own, he had his
1: own quirks, although I i, I think I would have liked him because he, he went around in nail polish and rouge, <gasps> which was a very eccentric habit for a man in the 1920s. Yeah. She later wrote about him, quote, I was told he never went with any girl that he was supposed <laughs> to be a woman. So that's, that's what people were saying about him. And then what she said about him was that, She that he was the only person she ever loved enough to give up tigers for. Wow, yeah, so people accused him of basically being a transvestite or transgender woman. I know, I'm yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry for saying it in what would be their terms, but yes, like,
0: and it doesn't actually say one way or another if he really was. It, it kind of sounds like maybe he was just experimenting with gender roles, right? And gender presentation. And I mean, because when you're we, in a we know circus, now you can like, be a straight man and wear rouge. Who cares? And when
1: you're in a circus, things are all every. It's like I feel like everyone's drama wears club. Makeup, so. it's the
0: drama club. Exactly. Everyone is touching each other and wearing makeup and being that's very artsy. I, that's always
1: what I used to say. I'm like, I have no personal bubble because I was in theater. Yes. Uh, Unfortunately, her husband, Rooney, would go on to die not long after. Oh, Um, no. There really isn't a clear record of what happened. Someone who wrote a book on Mabel, it wasn't considered a biography. It was called The Final Confession of Mabel Stark, but it wasn't a biography, which is interesting. Maybe
0: it was like a historical fiction Mm, based on her life.
1: Yeah, basically. And the guy who wrote it hypothesized that he was mauled by Raja. And that she felt responsible. However, um, an article he wrote in the Guardian makes it clear that that's that is fiction, um, and that the real circumstances are just considered a mystery. Like no one knows what happened. People to
0: him. were dying like crazy back then, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah. It didn't take much. <laughs> After that, Mabel said that she could find no pleasure or happiness anywhere except with the tigers.
0: Oh, they're her babies. Yeah.
1: So during this time, she was still with the Ringling Brothers and she said this to the New York Times quote, they may be planting violets on me tomorrow, but while I have my health and strength, I'd rather take care of 10 tigers than one sick person. So she's sick. No, she, she's saying she's saying I could die tomorrow. Oh, because, because of what she's I do working with tigers. But I'd I rather see. work, w- take care of ten tigers than a single sick person.
0: Have you ever taken care of a sick person though? Like that's when everyone needy. decides to get real demanding. Right. They get a bell and they just think they're the god of the universe. <laughs> and you and they're ringing that thing, and you're like all the time. You're like, like I'm gonna shove it down your I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill your you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. shove that bell up your ass. But tigers. They're just giant kittens that can kill you. They just cuddle and, and, and then right. and they bite exactly. you and they eat they're you. Fine. But that's okay because they're babies. So in
1: 1928, she began working with the Joe Robbins. And so she, so she finally left the Ringling Brothers Circus. Um, and this was just another circus. They were performing in Banger, Maine. Great, great town. Great town. Oh. And it was about in front of about 6,000 fans. What she didn't know is that her tigers had not been fed in around 48 hours before they were led into the pit. No one really knows why. She must not have been with them. So during her show, she slipped in the mud and was attacked by two of her tigers. Yeah. Sheik tore into her left thigh while Zoo chewed on her right leg. The deltoid muscle of one of her shoulders was ripped away, as was one of her breasts. (gasps) Her scalp was nearly torn off and blood filled her boots. She was rescued by Terrell Jacobs, who is the circus's lion tamer, who dragged her out of the cage while fending the tigers off with guns and spears.
0: I am gripping my tits so hard because it's like when you see someone get their hand caught in a car door and then you have to grab your hand like... Oh, my God. This is why you have to take care of the animals, right. you guys. Um, It took over
1: 300 stitches to to close her wound, and she was told to take a year off, but returned to her tigers within six weeks. Weeks? Weeks. Jesus, she returned, Mabel. When she returned to the ring, she was swathed in bandages and walking with a cane. So just a side note that I threw in here. So she would go on to work with tigers over nearly 60 years and would be mauled and seriously injured over a number of those years uh, at one point she actually worked with up to 18 cats in one ring
0: jeez that's a um, lot of and moving
1: the, animals to keep right. track of see the thing is though the appeal of training tigers which is how she put it she put training them not taming them right never diminished quote for me there is no greater
0: thrill than stepping
1: into a cage of those glorious beasts and matching wits with them
0: that's insane. Right. I don't think I could ever do that because the the worst case scenario is all too real and I'm not comfortable with getting my tit torn off by a hungry tiger. Right, exactly. Or lion. I'm not or in any there. kind of large cat.
1: Right. <laughs> Uh, so later that same year, when they were in Montreal, a newspaper wrote about her, quote, The intrepid and beautiful tiger tamer puts her tawny cats through a difficult routine, including that blood-curdling moment when the music stops and one of the tigers rebels, and she, after much whip cracking, shows that she is master. Because
0: wow. you, you have to kind of, like, yeah, be dominant. Exactly.
1: She's tiger dom. <laughs> um,
0: so after that, she would go
1: on to perform at the Cells Floto Circus, and then would go rejoin um the Barnes Circus after it was sold to Ringling. So essentially, she ended up back with the Ringling Brothers. She was nicknamed Tiger Girl or Crazy Mabel. <laughs> but, I love both of those. But was among the most celebrated trainers in a male-dominated field. So that's why I covered her. I was like, she's pretty cool. Yeah, that's incredible. I'm not done yet, though. Um, so in 34, this was after about two decades at this point, she's been training with tigers the circus historian earl chapman pra- earl chapman may praised mabel as a premier trainer saying quote she continues to be without equal in america and for all i know without rival elsewhere in the world
0: yeah cuz i mean were there any other women who were taming large so. animals but like i mean this? he's
1: saying like or training sorry no i don't think so i think she was one yeah. of the first and only but i i kind of wonder if he's also like referring to the men too like she's like no like this isn't
0: a gender thing she is just right the best regardless right she stayed
1: with that circus until it was fully absorbed into the Ringling Brothers circus during the season of 1938 during that time though before it was absorbed she would actually be filmed by Paramount Pictures for King of the Jungle in the film she is seen putting her tigers through their paces when fire erupts in the big top oh yep So after she left the Ringling Brothers, this time she toured with small circuses and lived in Japan, where she also performed circus acts during the '50s. Again, she kind of just fell off the grid. No one's really quite sure where she went or what she did. Well,
0: the other thing is too, we're skipping from the late '30s to the '50s. Yeah, and there was a lot of no information, but there was a lot of shit going on in the world. Yeah, exactly. uh, Namely, World War II. I, mean, I don't think exactly. people were into circuses. You, no. you you couldn't spare the the money, the
1: materials. Which is why I was surprised that like in the 50s she lived in Japan. I'm like, "Wow." Yeah. I, that, well, it, I mean, that was after the war, but still like that mm, That's what mm, an mm. unconditional surrender will do. Yeah, right. <laughs> she would go on to return to California and work at a place called the Jungle Compound, which later changed its name to Jungle Land. So she would go, and she started working with their large cats. So she ended, you know, she was doing what she loved. She would also go on to appear on TVs throughout the nineteen sixty. you know, just guest stunts, you know, what Bring Your Tiger sometimes just... If there um, was something to
0: do with a big cat on, on right, TV, or, she was there.
1: Or an unusual occupation, like she was on a show called What's My Line. It was like dirty jobs for the 60s. Yeah, basically. She and Mike Rowe would have been best friends. Exactly. In 1968, Jungle Land was sold to a new owner who disliked Mabel and fired her. Oh, what the hell? Right. Soon after she was fired, one of her tigers escaped during a busy day and was shot.
0: Oh, no. Mabel was
1: extremely angry about this and hurt that they killed the animal and felt that if, if they had just called her... That she could have safely secured the tiger, and it would have been fine,
0: right? Because she's been working with these animals for decades, like right. what, fifty years now? Well, because in the in the these
1: particular ones, maybe twenty,
0: but right, but large cats. Yeah, so exactly. She, she, she understands their behaviors, their cues. She knows how to like respond to aggression. Right. She's clearly not afraid to get bit. <laughs> right.
1: Three months after that incident, and this is a trigger warning, so people with Suicide ideations might want to just skip the next like 15 oh seconds. no I, Can told I you. skip
0: the next 15 Pinch seconds <laughs> leave like I was
1: gonna do last week um so three months later on she unfortunately killed herself by an overdose of barbiturates in the last pages of her autobiography hold that tiger she wrote quote the shoot door opens as I crack my whip and shout let them come out slink the striped cats snarling and roaring leaping at each other at me it is a matchless thrill and life without it is not worthwhile to me End quote. She died on April twentieth, nineteen sixty eight. So she was eighty years old.
0: Oh my! So I mean, God. she was she was old. That's. I mean, that's still tragic because it, it's not like right. um, who did you cover? She where she had like a debilitating ill. She got really old, but she had a debilitating illness, so she couldn't. Was it Martha Gellhorn? She couldn't scuba dive. Yeah, she couldn't write, so. and she ended up completing suicide. And it was one of those things where it's yeah. like it. it it was almost like she kind of took hospice into her own hands. She's exactly. like, I can't live a fulfilling life anymore. And I'm like, mm, I can't really blame her. I think really that's kind of how
1: she, this, but, uh, this, she feels too, is, you know, she was like, they were my life. That's still so tragic. Because clearly
0: that tiger being shot was a, the triggering incident. Yeah, you exactly. Know? Oh, Mabel, she was honey. five. She
1: was five foot three, about 100 pounds, and was covered with over more than 700 stitches from being bitten mauled and gouged and clawed by her striped co-workers that's
0: such a tiny woman she never
1: blamed them for any of the maulings for many of the maulings i'm sure some of them were yeah
0: well so, that, that's great because yeah. it's kind of like whenever i see someone who works with large animals or dangerous animals i never want them to get hurt but when they do i'm kind of like well that's part of this deal. This, right. That's part of, you know, what you're doing right now. And it seems sh- like she had a really healthy respect for that. So if she get, got bit, the yeah, animal's just like, being no. an animal. So legacy. As I said, um, there was a
1: fictionalized, I guess they say it's a biography, but a fictionalized account of her life called The Final Confession of Mabel Stark, which I didn't read. The story is actually based in the last year of her life. And it's basically an account of her recounting her stories, but it's a highly fictionalized version.
0: Yeah, they filled in the blanks with a lot of drama.
1: Right. And there was a, a documentary called Mabel, Mabel 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 Tiger Trainer that came out in 2017. But yeah, she, she was one of the top big cat trainers during her lifetime, and she was one of the few women to do it and so yeah I thought I was like let's do something lighter and fun you know a tiger trainer and then I got to the end and I was like well I'm too far into this yeah
0: like there's no turning back now (laughs) that's still really incredible right it's something different and unique yeah I we have we haven't covered a lot of people who have been in the circus or working with big animals so that was really cool yeah thank you for sharing yeah all right it's time for your say their name. All right. Well, give me one second like here. It's
1: everybody's favorite. I'm waiting for your props. Oh shit. She's actually grabbing her backpack. She might actually have a prop. I actually have a prop.
0: Okay, close your eyes. Close your eyes. I promise. It's nothing like gross. Tarantula or something. It's nothing gross and it's nothing sexual. Open your eyes. Oh. Guess who's back? Yeah. Back again. <laughs> so that makes sense, then. I okay. Our say their name today. Is Catherine J. Atwood, one of our favorite history writers. Yes. And if you're a longtime listener, you remember her well from episode 51 because Catherine was kind enough to send us uh, three books from her Women Heroes of War series mm-hmm. so we have a women heroes of world war one 16 remarkable resistors soldiers spies and medics which i am drawing from today mm-hmm. and then we have one about world war II. Two, and then world war Two: the, the pacific theater, theater. yep and they're so, sitting on the shelf behind you i know i love them like they make me so happy but basically i was uh I was going through our library on Spotify, and I was like, "I want to listen to an older episode to see if we have gotten better." You know, just kind of like, you know, what can I do better? Let's
1: let's revisit. Yeah.
0: And so, episode fifty-one was a ton of fun to uh, to record, Mm -hmm. and so I decided to listen to that again. And the whole time we're like, "We're definitely going to revisit her books." I'm like, "We're in the '70s, and we haven't yet, so this is a great time to do that." This is good. And seriously, if you haven't listened to episode fifty-one. I highly recommend it. We get a lot more into uh, Catherine, her writing style, where you can find her. But yeah, she is my say their name today because, like I said, she was kind enough to share these books with us. We amazing. are enjoying the absolute hell out of them. And uh, if you want to learn more about Catherine, you can find her on Instagram at Kate underscore Atwood, A T W O O D number seven, or her website at katherineatwood.com. So... But she she Go check her out. She writes these books for a young adult audience, uh, so that they're entertaining and accessible. But me, as an almost thirty year old woman, really appreciate it because it's engaging. I understand what I'm reading, well, and she puts and I'm a lot into of background
1: it. into it. Like in the beginning,
0: before oh, she talks yeah. about the individual women, if and I love that. If you're someone who skips the introduction for books, please don't do that because this, especially for World War One, where I don't have as tight of a grasp on the subject it was extremely helpful and especially what was going on for women at the time yeah so Catherine, we love you we do you're amazing keep writing please do oh she's she's done a ton like the three books that we've been drawing from are just scratching the surface you guys yes Yes. so like i said i am covering a woman from Catherine's women heroes of world war one book and uh, I am decided. covering Emilienne Moreau. It's French, yeah. i I think I am gonna struggle with the name. So her name is spelled E M I L I E N N E. So I thought it was Emmeline, and I was like, "Oh, that's kind of cool. That sounds like my name." And then I was like, "I should probably look up the pronunciation because French, French. Is, is tricky." E- Emilienne, I am like, "Oh shit,
1: <laughs> a guillotine!"
0: Yeah, like Where I,
1: it's actually spelled like guillotine or guillotine, yeah it's pronounced guillotine because french that's always going to be my example for how to pronounce french words because that's the one french word that i can consistently pronounce correctly yeah
0: you know uh, there are more french words that we don't even know are french though that are very uh common isn't resume french i have no idea yeah i mean it's it's all the same thing (laughs) i don't know now it kind of is all right Picture it, the Western Front, 1915, channeling my Sophia from Golden Girls. Yeah. The world is embroiled in World War I, or the Great War, you know, before they knew something like this could have a sequel. Yeah, <laughs> a really bad one. The Germans are fighting the French and British Allied forces, both desperate to gain ground, but trapped in a stalemate that is steadily chipping away at their numbers and sanity. To break the deadlock, each side was gearing up for a big push that would finally turn the tides, and that's where seventeen-year-old Emilienne Moreau ca- came in. Ooh. Da, da, da. yeah, she's a teenager. <laughs> all always, that always makes, Just makes me remember, a little she is like, a child. Like, oh. <laughs> Emilienne Moreau had been born on June fourth, eighteen ninety-eight, in Vinglet, France. Which is way up north. It like is close, kind of the border of uh, Belgium. Okay, yeah, that that is way up north. Emilienne grew up with her brother Henri Jr. Uh, living in a series of mining camps. She also had at least one sister, who I found really one mention of. Like, I'm I'm ninety percent through the story. I'm like oh, shit, she hasn't been alone this whole time. She has other family, but right. they're not super important. Uh, so she was living in a series of mining camps following her father, Henri Sr., who was a miner. Eventually, they started in the s- settled in the small mining town of Loos, close to the border of Belgium, where her father opened up a grocery store. Hmm. This was right in the middle of what would become the Western Front. Yeah, that is. Bad place to be, fam. This is not where you want to be hanging out during World War One.
1: I. I mean, I'm sure you didn't know it was coming. But
0: oh, so. absolutely. It's not like they were like, you know, this place feels like it's about to be embroiled in a battle. Let's I open a grocery it. store. I love it. You know what soldiers need? Cabbage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what they need? Plastic and paper bags. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Well. We're going to get a little juice bar in here. Get some energy boosts in there. It's going to be fantastic. Mm-hmm off the chain. At the outbreak of World War I on July 28, 1914, Emilien's brother Henri immediately joined other young men to fight. With the young men off fighting, the women, children, and elderly were left in the dark. The French press was highly censored at the time, and very few facts were flowing in. Instead, the news was full of praise for the French soldiers' bravery, giving the illusion that things were going just fine but they weren't. And like, how frustrating would that be? You're kind of like, I don't actually know what's going on, but I guess we're being really brave. Okay, cool. Like that makes me feel kind of warm and fuzzy. I'm going to wrap myself in that lie and just hunker down. Hmm. But it became evident that things weren't hunky dory when Belgian refugees, I almost said referees. (laughs) Don't do that. Oh, my God. There's a whole swarm of people in black and white striped shirts coming at us. (laughs) Run. (laughs) There's just this, like, high-pitched whistle in the distance. Right. (laughs) Fell. Yellow flags are flying everywhere. Both of them. Oh, my God. Oh, God. Belgian refugees began flooding across the border, so they're clearly escaping the shit that is going down. In response to the sign that the Germans were gaining ground, many fled Los to distance themselves from the conflict. That makes sense. It reminds me of like when there's going to be a storm or an earthquake or away. Yeah, and they're just kind of like, we're going to go that way because they seem to know something that we don't. Instead of fleeing, which no one would have blamed them for, Emilienne and her father and family stayed. When the Germans invaded France in August of 1914, rudely interrupting Emilienne's budding teaching career—God damn it—it it was chaos. The Germans looted the small mining town, trashing Emilienne's family's grocery store, and mounting machine guns on the 72-foot-high mining pit towers to defend their newly conquered territory. So they immediately like start fortifying the place using right. whatever's there. Allied troops were not far behind and one day, while looking out her attic window, Emilien could see that they were heading right for the gun nests that the Germans had set up. And I because the towers yeah Yeah. so i'm a bad person because i'm imagining this like you get up one morning your hair is a mess you're in your robe you have your cup of coffee your eyes are barely open and you're like and she just looks out her window and she sees a bunch of allied soldiers hanging to gun nests, and she just takes a sip of her coffee and she's like all right let's do this (laughs) i guess that's all the caffeine i'm gonna get today right you're like yes this day's starting early like i i have it in my head that she's just kind of like All right, let's do this. Like almost like a grizzled cop, even though she's a teenage girl living a very normal life. But she's just like running on caffeine and a lack of sleep. I I believe it. Emilienne rushed out of her home to meet the French and British troops, warning them that they were about to walk into a massacre. And then she helped them to narrowly avoid being obliterated. As Allied forces used this information to count, to like stage a counterattack on the Germans and kind of like get the drop on them a little, Emilienne also set up a first aid post in her home to aid wounded Aww. soldiers. Cause she's amazing. Fuck yeah. Unfortunately, after some fighting, the Allies were overwhelmed and forced to retreat, leaving Los completely under German control. To remind everyone that they were in charge, the Germans performed performed frequent surprise searches on townspeople, threatened anyone who was suspected of of aiding the allies, and implemented a strict curfew. And if they thought you were being shady, you're dead. You're dead. Game over. Like, no questions need be asked. At one point, Emelian's father, Henri, stayed out a bit too late one night and was nearly oh. executed as a spy. So wow. he was captured, put in prison, and they were like, gonna just, like, firing squad. Like, they were ready to go. Right. But Emelian managed to plead for her father's freedom in life. He is a grocery store owner, guys. Chill out. Like, he's not, he's not doing anything. He right, was like, just out a little fine. late. He's fine. I'm He sorry. was polishing the avocados, you guys. Don't you like shiny avocados? I know you do. I've seen you buy. I've seen (laughs) you, you and your fucking avocado scoops, too good to use a regular spoon like the rest of (laughs) them. You know how soldiers are in their avocados. They need them. They need need them on their toast. Yeah. (laughs) Sadly, though, this traumatized Henri so severely that he became an anxious shut in who refused to leave the home and hid in the attic, perpetually hiding from German soldiers. Oh, that poor guy. So he had PTSD. Oh, yeah. Like, real bad. This this fucked him up deeply. And honestly, almost getting executed by a bunch of invading soldiers would definitely fuck me up, too. Like, I can't argue with how no, he responded. No, I, I would
1: like, probably be hiding in my attic as well. I would, too.
0: They also, the Germans also took control of the town's food supplies, rationing what they had for themselves, leaving little for the civilians. So even Henri's grocery store could not save them. Nope. To avoid starvation, Emilienne and her father made this like nasty bread substitute by grinding wheat in a coffee mill. So they're like, it it has like the bare amount of nutrients. It's just enough to like keep them alive, really. That sucks. The combined trauma and starvation rations killed Henri and undoubtedly many other civilians oh, in the sure. occupied town.
1: Because I'm sure not all of them knew how to, like, make some sort of substitute like that. Oh,
0: exactly. Or, you know, you're older, you're weaker, you know. Right. I'm sure a lot of children, like, didn't make... Like, it's just... It's awful. And
1: the, Even the ones that did make it, probably... You're going to have a lot of, like, problems from the nutritional deficit.
0: Yeah, I think in... Everyone will correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was Audrey Hepburn uh, grew up during World War II, and she wanted to be a dancer, but because uh, her town was occupied by the Germans, again, the, the same situation happened where there was no nope. food. So she she was like, I don't know, a, a young teenager, maybe th- 12 or 13 at the time. She wasn't getting enough food, so she basically stopped growing and couldn't grow enough to be a dancer. Yeah. So she became a world famous actress and like social activist instead. Right. Cool. I think it still worked out for her, but like she literally stopped growing. She was a very tiny woman. You can
1: see that, like, yeah, in your like bones and stuff. Like, if you have malnutrition at
0: certain ages, right? Emilienne and other family members constructed a coffin for Henri from Mm. wood left behind by the town carpenter Mm. who had fled earlier. So they have it's to, like, so build sad. him his own coffin and bury him. Emilien, who had previously been a teacher, noticed how the remaining children of Los spent their days playing in the rubble of the Germans' destruction. Great childhood.
1: Right.
0: Schools were obviously closed now that the town was a war zone and the children were left to their own devices. Emilienne began teaching the children out of her home and taking them on field trips to one of the town's coal pits to forage for coal to keep them warm. So she's like teaching kids out of her basement. It's freezing. And she's like, hey, guys, the fire is getting low. We're going to go on a field trip. Everyone get your buddy. We're going to forage for coal so we don't freeze to death. Yay. Oh, my God. That's so sad. OK, everyone look around. Name something that begins with an A. Asshole. Yeah, that man's an asshole.
1: Congratulations. Gold <laughs> star, <win>. Timmy. <laughs>
0: bomb yes bomb does begin with a b yay <laughs> like and like honestly she must have just been trying to give them as much Something, normalcy yeah. as possible but also making sure they weren't like well and probably they were being getting them out of, of the
1: way of the germans yeah you know?
0: because i mean I-, I can't imagine it just takes one person to be an asshole and like blow all those kids away exactly. like i i feel like people are not being held accountable for their horrific behavior in this situation During these field trips, Emilien would take detailed mental notes of the German fortifications. Where were the gun nests? Where were soldiers stationed? And where were their weak points? Wow. She knew that if the Allied forces returned, this information could give them an advantage as it had before. So she's always watching and planning and just kind of like trying to be ready. Yeah. And return they did. In September of 1915, Allied forces pushed back in what is known as the Champagne-Artois Offensive, which honestly sounds like a mixed drink with champagne and Stella Artois. Yeah, it does. I dare hashtag history to drink this. They drink mixed drinks. We're calling you out hashtag history. Mix some champagne with some Stella Artois. Let us know how it tastes. Let us know how it is. I mean, champagne kind of goes with everything. It's just like sweet and bubbly. Yeah, I think it'll be fine. But
1: m- put that in it. a Bloody
0: Mary, you're good to go. Right,
1: stick it, a pickle in it. Let us know how it. how it is.
0: <laughs> uh, the part of this offensive that took place in Los is known as the Los Artois Offensive. It would be during this push that allied forces would use first use gas against the Germans. Hmm. Having suffered chlorine gas attacks from the Germans, the allies knew how devastating they could be. And this is World War 1 is most is very well known for trench warfare and gas, and chlor- using gas like, gas like yeah. yeah. Mustard gas like it's it's a fucking hellscape. Yeah. And it was on both sides, so like,
1: oh, I, I, you can't, my point is you can't be mad at one side over the other because no, they no. both did it. Gas, and it was terrible.
0: Gas is here and it's horrible, and we shouldn't use it <laughs> when it was first used in the Battle of uh, Ypres. Y p r e s. Ypres. I don't know. I say it once earlier that year. It killed an estimated one thousand one hundred soldiers. Jeez chlorine gas at best could cause vomiting eye irritation corneal burns and coughing at its worst when it got into your lungs the chlorine gas reacted with the water in the victim's lungs producing hydrochloric acid which would then destroy the lung tissue leading to a painful death you are burning your lungs are burning from from the the inside inside out out. it's it's awful on the first night of the Los uh, Artois Offensive, Emelian's roof was blown off by artillery fire. Instead of getting the hell out of Dodge, like I would have, Emilienne climbed to the attic using her sudden lack of roofing to her advantage. She's like, oh, I, have, I, I can see everything now. It's like I have ceiling to floor windows, but no ceiling. She had a clear vantage point of the fighting and tried to see how she could help. Unfortunately, this strange yellow cloud was impeding her vision. Oh no! Honestly, I cannot believe how well Emilienne is handling this. You're in the middle of a war zone. Your father has died. Your roof has been blown off, and then this yellow cloud, like something out of Revelations, appears out of nowhere. And you're just like, no, I got to keep watching. And remember, she probably didn't have like a clear like concept of chemical no. warfare at the time. No. You know, especially since the French press was not reporting what was really going on. It was just like, the French are cool. This must have looked like hell on earth. Instead of curling into a ball and sobbing like I would have, Emilienne ran out of the house and into the fighting. Through the yellow gas, she managed to determine that allied forces were heading towards a gun nest in the town's cemetery. (laughs) I still can't get over the fact that they turned the cemetery into a. Yeah, gun I know nest. how terrible is that.
1: Like that, like that is that is a new low.
0: The more I think about it, though, the more I'm like, it I, makes sense. I'm like, well, there's not. There's a lot of cover. There's a lot of cover. You know, the the stones are really easy to mow over. You know, I I don't know. <laughs> just, That's why, but it's still uh, terrible. There's just something like about that that hits me in a weird way. Um, so they were heading towards a gun nest in the town cemetery, and she was determined to again warn them of the impending massacre. Then, out of the chaos, strange figures emerged. They had bulbous eyes with trunks coming out of their faces and were clad in skirts. Any guesses as to what i am describing or who i am describing that's the part that threw me too and and like i'm I'm taking this from Catherine's book because this is how she describes this scene i don't know enter the scots i I
1: wanted to say the scots but i'm like that could potentially be super offensive yes
0: But yes. that, that is what
1: I first thought. I was like, it's
0: like it's Scottish people in kilts. See, I had no idea. I was like, are there just a bunch of ladies in gas masks and no, skirts that, running like, around being like, we got them. I just didn't want to be like, oh, it's the
1: Scots. And then have you be like, no.
0: Kelly, that is so offensive. And everyone from Scotland hates you now. Yeah, probably. I can't go back there. <laughs> Yes, Highlanders from the Ninth Black Watch, named for the dark color of their kilts—they're nice. not skirts, they're kilts—clad in gas masks had arrived. Despite not speaking English or being able to communicate verbally with these people in any way, Emelian managed to convey that she was a friend and guided the Scottish troops around the many gun nests that were waiting to blow them all away. Wow. Blow them all away. That's Hamilton. It's not fiddler on the roof Still this time. Seen him. <laughs> we need to watch it together because I just you. I need yeah. you to be here with me. Okay. We can do that. With her help, the Scottish were able to move safely through Loos and onto a German fortification. However, Emilian's guidance was so efficient, the Skosh had outpaced the other Allied troops who were going to flank from the left, and they were unable to take the Germans' position because they didn't have enough people, because they were all going to, like, kind of go around and then meet. Instead, they had to return to Los to ensure that they didn't lose the town. They are like, okay, we got a little head, we couldn't take it, but we're going to, like, make sure we get the town under control. Emelian wasn't done. She again converted her home into a first aid station, working with a Scottish army doctor to help treat the wounded allied soldiers. And he basically was like, here's how you bandage bullet wounds. Here's how you do this. Here's how you do that. And she's like, cool, got it, done.
1: Right. He taught her stuff and then she. he was like... He- you know, She was probably like, you need to continue with the troops. I got this. You go. I'll, I'll I, he, help. he
0: stayed for a while, but then oh, nice. I, he did eventually, I think, move on because he does come back a little later. Keep that in your, uh, your brain vault. OK. This made her home a destination for Allied soldiers seeking refuge and help. One such soldier, a wounded Scotsman on his way to Emilian's home, was hunted down by German soldiers. Oh, no. He took refuge in the cellar of a nearby home. The Germans saw this and lifted, they cornered him in the cellar and they lifted their guns through the barred cellar windows, ready to fire. So he's, I don't know if he like, I think he like kind of blockaded himself in the cellar, Probably. but it's got the bar window. barred window and they're just like, yeah, this isn't that hard guy. Suddenly... Hand grenades began raining down like the hammer of the gods. Yes. Emilienne had seen what was happening and, with the help of two other wounded soldiers, grabbed a sack of grenades that were just lying around, I guess, and threw them at the Germans, killing them. Holy. Like, she's just like, nope, we're not doing this. Not today. (laughs) Right. As the wounded piled in, Emilien com- commandeered a neighboring house, which was, had probably been abandoned long ago, right. to expand operations. They also took out a wall so that they had enough room to move the wounded in and out on stretchers. Herstory house hunting tip, open concept homes are great for converting into wartime first aid posts. Yep. Now you know. The expanding posts drew attention from German forces, naturally. One day, while treating wounded soldiers, Emilienne heard the unmistakable pop of a bullet whizzing past her head. Oh, that would be terrifying. Yeah. The gunfire was coming from two approaching German soldiers. This time when she reached for a weapon, it wasn't a bag of grenades she found lying around. She got her hands on a revolver and she shot and killed both soldiers. Jeez. Now let's take a moment to remember. Emilienne is a teenager who was living a perfectly normal life before she's her what? home became is, a Western. This, and front. this is
1: all within the same
0: year, right? About yeah. So she's seventeen at the time, I believe. Maybe she turns eighteen at some point. Okay. Yeah, that's. But yeah, she's like seventeen yeah, years no, old. Yeah, that's. She was trying to be and a teacher, and terrible. then the war just came blasting down her front no, door. Two people. She wasn't a they warrior. They were trying to kill her, but still. She wasn't a warrior. She wasn't a fighter. She wasn't a killer. In Catherine's book, she writes, quote, Trembling because she had never fired a gun, she called out for help. An officer came over and congratulated her, shaking her hand. And I read this and I immediately thought of how different it must have been to kill soldiers by throwing grenades. Like soldiers that were it's trying much, to kill someone else. Much less personal. It seems more impersonal versus. Shooting them down in front of you, and I may be reading too much into this, but that just really seemed like a really so. tragic human moment t- to me. Like, oh yeah, no, she's probably like broken, and they're like, "Good job," and she's like, "I, hate I this. just
1: killed someone." Yeah,
0: because like I know she killed people with the grenades, but you know, well, it, she wasn't alone in that instance, exactly. You know? And I, I don't know, this one just hit a little different. I'm sure it's kind of scary Ooh. to fire a gun for the first time because yeah. they're powerful. I mean, handguns
1: are a little bit better. But but this just
0: seemed really... uh, Yeah, no. uh, Yeah, it just... I'm I'm with you. Yeah. The fighting only got worse. Emilienne's sister was severely wounded by a shell, and Allied troops began moving civilians out of Los. See, I told you she had a family that would come in later. (laughs) Emilienne, along with her sister and mother, (laughs) and I even put in parentheses, who were also here the whole time too, I guess, (laughs) (laughs) were evacuated from Los via foot, cart, and truck. Each respectively,
1: one got one was on foot, one was in a cart, and one was in a truck. Yeah, yeah. So
0: amelian had to just run behind, yeah, like, I, yeah, get my ten thousand steps in today. <laughs> the, the daughters, in a,
1: the daughters in a cart, and the moms in a truck.
0: Yeah, well, she's the mom. She's the matriarch. You know, she gets the truck. <laughs> she's also older. Oh yeah, yeah. When the Moreau family finally reached a hospital, they were devastated to learn that Emilian's brother Henri, who had enlisted to fight in the war at the war's outbreak, had been killed months earlier mm. in battle. So both Henri's are dead, thanks no to the war. More Henri. At the hospital, Emilian was reunited with the doctor with whom she had worked with in their makeshift first aid post, Aww. the Scottish Army doc. He had been busy telling stories of Emilienne's bravery. He's like, guys, I got to tell you about this teenager from Lowe's. She is insane. Right. (laughs) If I could do that in a Scottish accent, I would. But I I, I, no, I'm going to kindly not offend an entire group of people today. I I appreciate that. Word quickly began to spread for... Of Emilienne's work to save Allied soldiers by helping them avoid enemy fire and wow. tending to their wounds, eventually reaching the ears of King George himself. Holla! She reached a. Sorry, she reached. She received a number of medals and awards, including get ready for a bitch and bullet list.
1: I like the bitch and bullet lists.
0: Croix de Guerre, uh, which is a French military decoration award for valiant service in World War One. Croix du Combattant, uh, which is. I, I don't know, like the Medal of the Combatant, because it's spelled kind of like combatant, but with the French pronunciation, so you don't pronounce any of the T's. Uh, the Royal Red Cross, first class from the British military, Venerable Order of St. John, which was a chivalry order created by wow. Queen Victoria, and more. So many. Oh, well, I'm sure. Emilienne's story and photo uh, were also circulated in newspapers, making her a symbol of the French and British alliance during the war. A photo of Emilienne being awarded the French military cross, all dressed in black, in mourning of her brother, was publicized becoming a symbol of all French women who were mourning the significant casualties, but refusing to be defeated. Yeah. So it's like, hey, we're devastated, but I'm not backing down. No. this
1: This war's not over, and we're not done. Exactly.
0: In this photo, she kind of looks like Lydia Dietz from Beetlejuice, like when she's dressed all in black with the big black hat. And it like. It's
1: it is that time frame. Yeah.
0: But like, I mean, and even her face looks a little like a young Winona Ryder. I was like, oh, my God, Winona. (laughs) Girl, what have you been doing? Right. Where where you been? France really leaned into Emilienne's story and used as propaganda to motivate their troops and gain continued support of the war. So her story really gets leveraged by the French government to like be like, look at this girl and all yeah. the cool things she did. You should be proud to be a French soldier. And like that kind of bums me out because leveraging someone's horrible experience I, it's for what propaganda. They do, though. But I get it. I I get
1: it. It's not the first time we've seen it and it's sadly not the last.
0: And honestly, like her, her story is true everything that i have told you she did and happened so it's not like they were like taking her and being like let's just make up all this shit about this right exactly (laughs) that's true emilienne wrote her memoir for the le petit Parisien newspaper the little parisian i love that uh which was heavily circulated amongst french troops and she was commonly referred to as the french joan of arc now, while Allied forces were praising the hell out of Emilienne, the Germans unsurprisingly took a different stance. It was very, Really? It was very controversial, you guys. They actually threatened to shoot any civilian they suspected to be armed on sight, arguing that France, France was arming civilians and that Emilienne was an example of this. They were like, France, you're just giving all your civilians weapons and we just caught this girl who you like armed to just take us all out. Uh, And this would have been a violation of the rules of warfare. So they're like, you're cheating. You're cheating at war. And I understand why we have rules of warfare and engagement and all that. It's still funny. But I I don't know. It's just like this comes off weird. The French basically ignored these threats, pointing out the fact that Emilien was being shot at as a civilian and protecting wounded soldiers and the Germans who were trying to kill wounded were actually in violation of the rules of warfare. So they're yelling back at each other. You cheat. Well, no, you You actually cheated. cheated. Yeah, it's (laughs) like that's how this hit me. I'm like, I feel like I've heard this argument while working with kids on the playground. Right. Why does this feel so familiar? He hit me. No, he hit me first. (laughs) Emilienne survived the war, and her popularity endured until the 1930s. So she's like this national hero. Times had changed, and France wasn't super into dunking on the Germans anymore, considering they were growing their military in preparation for world domination.
1: Cool. France or the Germans? The the
0: Germans. So the Germans were uh, gearing up for something, and France kind of didn't want to make themselves a target by being like... France was like,
1: you know what? (laughs) We fought already. We're good. We're just going to chill in France. If you could just let us do that. Right. Just
0: ignore us. And Germany was like, France, I'm going to let you finish. But <laughs> <laughs> but we're coming in. Uh, then World War II happened. We're coming for Paris. Emilienne, who was still living in France, once again witnessed her country occupied by the Germans. This time they were of the Nazi variety. Initially, because she was so famous for her efforts during World War One, Emilienne was placed under house arrest but was eventually released because I guess they were kind of like, guys, maybe we're overreacting. I don't know. They're like, guys, she's older now. And the thing is she must not have been that much older because she was seventeen when World War Two was going down. That was like nineteen fifteen. We're fifteen years ahead. So she's what in her thirties? This poor woman. Right. It's it's not good. And she wasn't the only one who was living in France, survived World War One and was like, that that whole generation like, I'm so sorry. Uh, It's just like I I was thinking about this. I'm like, you just cannot catch a fucking break. Like as much as I feel we can't catch a breath nowadays, at least like our our city is not being occupied by invading forces every fifteen fucking years. Right, that would be terrible. Old habits die hard, and Emilienne quickly joined the French Resistance, smuggling messages in her clothes and by pretending to be pregnant. But nice. instead of having a party ball under her dress like I do, she had like war messages. <laughs> Though the Gestapo were always hunting her down, she managed to evade capture by changing her appearance frequently. And this gave me Virginia wow. Hall vibes. Yeah. Like they were definitely friends. Oh, hell yeah. Sometimes she was goth Lydia Dietz. Sometimes she was the manic mom from Stranger Things. And other times she was 80s Winona Ryder from Heather's. She's all disappeared into exam- the character. Yeah. One of her nicknames was actually uh, Emilienne LeBlonde. So she was definitely a blonde at one point, like in Mr. Deeds, which I just watched with Jared the other night. So I'm like, this is perfect. This is just in my head now. That's funny. <laughs> she certainly had close calls. At one point, the Gestapo had arrested 17 of her compatriots who were all most likely murdered. Uh, but she managed to escape. She like just wow. slipped away. She also dodged a Nazi ambush where they were waiting outside her house. They spotted her and fired, but like a bunch of like red-shirted stormtroopers, they missed. So, Emilienne eventually—they I mean, ha-
1: don't even have to be red-shirted stormtroopers. Even regular stormtroopers are just really shitty. Well, I'm—I'm I'm,
0: I'm like combining stormtroopers who can't hit a target and then like the red-shirt guys from Star Trek. Although it wasn't that they were bad at shooting; they just died. Yeah. They were, they were really they good died. at catching bullets.
1: Okay. If there was a red shirt on a mission, you knew that they weren't making it back to the ship. That's right.
0: That's right. Okay. So they were just
1: stormtroopers yeah, who were really bad troopers. at shooting. <laughs> Which is normal for a stormtrooper.
0: Quick side note, there's a great Lindy Beige video about why people are bad at shooting each other and uh, how, especially in World War One, there were instances of... Um, soldiers seeing enemy soldiers walk by and they weren't spotted and they would just let them go and when they were asked well why didn't you shoot them and the guy was like well they weren't doing anything to me and so that's why now we have those uh shooting targets in the shape of people so that we get accustomed to firing at human shaped objects which is insane uh so emilienne eventually had to escape to england on august 7th 1944 Emilienne managed to survive World War II and was recognized Whoa. by the French government again, being elected to the French National Assembly, where she spent decades fighting for women's rights. Woo-hoo. You know we love a good women's rights activist up yeah, in here. On January 5th, 1971, at 72 years old, Emilienne Moreau died peacefully and is buried in Lenz. Aww. Legacy Emilienne has been recognized in France and has received a butt ton of awards, and she has several schools and streets in France named after her. And I, I'm like, I'm not so going to list it all. So, any French
1: out. listeners, you probably know who we're talking about.
0: Yeah, and like seriously, for our international listeners, if you have any pictures of things that the women we've covered are named after, I would love to see that. Mm-hmm. That would just make my day. For money or anything anything we mention yeah Canada send me a picture of uh, some Viola Desmond money because right. I want to see that cool. Amelia's story is one of strength and survival against great odds she proves that anyone can stand up and fight yeah she does so Catherine thank you so much for bringing Amelia's story into my life and uh, seriously check out Catherine Atwood's books Uh so so this is like her women in action series. I think I called yeah. it Women Heroes series, but it's her women in action series. And again, you can find Kate Atwood on Instagram at Kate underscore Atwood Seven. And her website is Kathrynatwood.com. That's K A T H R Y N A T W O O D dot com.
1: Amazing.
0: And and that also has all of her social media links on it too. Yes. But Katherine, thank you again. We're definitely gonna be revisiting these books more. Oh yeah. It, it was one of those things where I kept thinking it's too soon, and then I was—I just got distracted, and I'm like, I need to cover a woman that I didn't find on Rejected Princesses.
1: <laughs> yeah. Ah, uh, all right. It's okay. I didn't find this one on Rejected Princesses.
0: How did you find your lady? I'm always curious how we find our ladies because I don't have a process. They—they they just kind of happen each week. Yeah, I just kind of like went out looking and
1: stumbled across it. It was very interesting
0: they They find us Kelly. exactly they
1: they call out to us from beyond beyond what I don't know, just
0: beyond beyond the yellow brick road, yeah, there you go, yep, so Kelly, what yes. are you thankful for this week? uh that's a hard one
1: my, my coworkers they've been everyone's really had to step up and kind of go outside our normal in a box like this is what I do every day and assist new people and you know make sure everyone's covered and they've all just been really great to work with like there's no there's no like at least outward complaining and stuff and everyone's really just kind of been like okay nope this is you know what we got to do and we're all just kind of standing up and doing it
0: no one's like that's not my job description everyone's like hey this needs to get done let's do it that's great
1: I'm not saying that eventually some people won't be that way but right now
0: it's good that's awesome. I'm glad to hear. What are you thankful for? It's funny because I've actually had a pretty good week and I kind of realize I'm like, when was the last time I could say my week was pretty good? It's been a while. So knock on wood, hopefully that trend keeps going. But I was, I was uh, at work today and I was thinking about all the things I was thankful for and I had all this stuff. Um one of them uh my friend Caleb just celebrated 1 year of sobriety by the getting the most bitchin tattoo it's Godzilla and Mothra sh- like both listening to the same iPod and yeah. it's it's so cool I absolutely love it. He's super into Godzilla, and it's perfect. Something else I'm thankful for. So uh, Jared and I have to go to the VA tomorrow, which I'm like, that might be the thing that sinks this week. <laughs> At least it's on a
1: Friday. It,
0: it's, it's on a Friday. Um, hopefully, it should be a pretty basic thing. But I was actually, I called today. And normally, when I have to call the VA, like I have had emotional breakdowns and have had to leave sobbing voicemails. When calling them before, I'm not proud of it, but that is the truth. And I called, and everyone was very helpful. They were very clear. They were very prompt because it was a lot of like, okay, I have your information. Someone's going to call you back. And then they actually called me back like within the hour. Okay, okay, someone's going to call you back to schedule the appointment. Hey, we can get you in tomorrow. What? Right, like you're I like, Wait, what? Like normally with the VA it's like the narrator from SpongeBob holding up the card saying one year later. I can't do the voice. It's, it's French. French. <laughs> but uh so that gives me some optimism. The past few times we've had to go to the the big VA hospital up in Minneapolis have actually been fairly positive experiences. Good. But we've had so many negative ones that I always go in with a ton of anxiety, which sucks because as anxious as I get, it's like ten times oh, worse yeah. for Jared. So I have to and really then you guys have like my kind shit of feed
1: off of each other. Well, and- I have to
0: really have my shit together so he doesn't like pick up on that I'm anxious. Mm. So I have to be very like okay here's what we're gonna do next i know where this is we're gonna you know like i right. i have to be you're kind like of a i have to head. at least
1: pretend to have my shit together i have to
0: put my caregiver pants on and like get my shit together and i'm like i'm not qualified <laughs> but yeah so that was that was a nice experience uh and i'm optimistic so next week i'll let you guys all know how it went <laughs> but we have to go there at like really the early in the morning i am going to be up before the cock crows you guys and i'm not looking forward to that so like after we're done recording i am going to go home take my pills and go the fuck to bed
1: <laughs> go the fuck
0: to sleep cuz i cannot deal with tomorrow being tired first. we'll see i had a really big lunch i had my my vegan food from my oh, favorite yeah. little coffee nice. shop and that i actually couldn't finish it jared had to finish it off it's very filling that's good though
1: I, want. I don't know what I want for dinner. Like I'm bouncing between wanting like a baked potato or pasta or something. So you get the baked potato, yeah, you
0: right. cut it in half, and you shove pasta in it. Maybe. Baked pastato. <laughs>
1: <laughs> baked pastato. I found
0: it. Baked pastato. Baked pastato. That's what little kids call it. By the way, I also just want to say I am so thankful for you guys, listeners, yes, because so Kelly, much. Kelly, and I have noticed our our downloads have just been shooting the fuck up. So welcome and thank you. And we oh love my god, you. I am just absolutely amazed. So th- yeah, thank you for joining us. Thank you for sticking around because I we started out so small. And with such little momentum as far as like downloads and listeners go. And especially this year, we have seen it like. Gaining a, mo, yeah. We are so a snowball good. rolling down a hill after Scooby Doo and the gang. Here, it's amazing. And we love you. Oh. We love you so much. Thank you so much for your support. If you really, really, really want to support us, please rate us five stars wherever you listen and leave it a helps. written comment it because we love lot. reading those. Yes, that makes my day. Maybe sometimes it feature I need you it.
1: on our Instagram. Then
0: sometimes I need to like directly inject that positivity into right? my life like, by oh, reading someone your comments. Likes me. Um, um, you can also subscribe to our Patreon for as little as $1 a month. Uh, we also have like new magnets and stickers and we're feeling pretty like excited. So we may just throw some shit in there even if you subscribe at $1 a month. Right. And by maybe I'm like, yeah, we're definitely going to th- throw a little good easier way because right. we love you so much. Uh, so that's patreon.com slash whining about uh, You can also like us on Facebook whining about History, Instagram, WAHpod twitter at wah underscore pod our website is whiningaboutherstory.com
1: and our email is whiningaboutherstory at gmail.com send us emails we'd, we'd love to hear from you or your suggestions or your people or you know whatever i still
0: want to hear your bad kiss stories or yeah, even your really that. good kiss stories your, i want to hear your kiss story. your kiss story. Like that'll that. be your spinoff <laughs> spinoff kiss story. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstory. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And have an empowered day. Bye. Bye.
1: That was beautiful.